everyone, and welcome to Spirituality Matters with Rev. Carla. This is a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together can be just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. And yes, I'm recording in a hotel room. Where is Rev. Carla this week. You never can tell, especially with my house still being remodeled, but I hear the drywall went up today. I also want to share, I shared this earlier recording I did for my course, Spiritual Reset, that right now my computer is being propped up by the Book of Mormon and the Gideon Bible. There's just something symbolic about that, right? And I think many of us need to start carrying little books about why deconstructing is healthy, why the spiritual but not religious path is sacred. So when my book comes out in 2024, you can do that and perhaps save someone else's sanity who's trying to deconstruct and know and let them know that there's other things out there besides having religion forced down upon them when they are in a hotel room. Okay. Now, today's podcast is entitled Church Isn't What I Missed. Now, this is also is uh, referencing the blog of the same name that you can find at numasoul.com that will be posted this week. This podcast by and the blog as well is inspired by people who had a hard time leaving because of the loss of community. You don't know how many times I've heard from people when they just say some version of, I just miss the people. I miss the gathering. I miss the belonging. And I understand that. And I feel it deeply because it's a, it is a heartbreaking byproduct of when you make the decision to leave any community. Many of us have not only lost that spiritual community, you lost your identity. You more than likely, it changed your friendships. It changed your family dynamics. Many things happened when you decided to deconstruct. That is not uncommon. That doesn't mean that we're minimizing your pain. We want you to understand that there's other people on this journey with you. So that also is often enough for people to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to pretend to be a good Christian. I'm just going to let all my doubts go away because the fear of losing my identity, fear of losing those that have been in my life for so long and who have supported me, I am willing to play a role to keep them in my life. And that is a choice that people make because that risk is just too great. And I get it because I actually did it for quite a while. I interviewed a person earlier today for my podcast, and I was talking about how I was covertly deconstructing for several years before I actually started to know that I was leaving. And I had gone to see John Bishop John Shelby Spong, who was speaking in our church, not in our church, in our community. And I was terrified that somebody from my church was going to see me. So I waited until the I was in the parking lot waiting until the program was getting ready to start before I walked in and sat at the back as obscure as possible, just trying to make myself small so no one would see me just to hear him speak. And I still today am so glad that I took, I was courageous enough to go listen, even though I was also terrified that when I left the building, I was going to be struck by lightning. And my stepdaughter and I went to one of the sessions together. And later we decompressed by going to go have supper. And we both just sat there like, 
conflicted, like, what was that? And it made so much sense, but terrified that we were going to be found out or somehow punished because we had gone to hear this man speak. So if you don't know who John Shelby Spong is, you can find some of his books on uh, my book recommendations at numasoul.com. And you can read one of the books that changed my life, which was Christianity Must Change or Die. And be sure to watch for that podcast coming out in, on March 19th, where we talk about that book and other things related to the changes that are happening inside Christianity. It's an, it's an amazing interview. And also, the numbers don't lie here. People are still leaving church even with the fear of losing their community, they're still leaving church. So I wanted to look at the updated data around this. And it's really interesting because if you just put in like why people are living church, you're going to get a Christian-centric perspective. So for instance, you'll get an article from Andy Stanley and ChristianityToday.com that talk about, well, why are people leaving church? Well, it's because their faith is weak. Well, it's because of the distractions. Too many worldly things have gotten in their way. So they're making it very superficial and absolutely turning the mirror outward as if nothing they did had any responsibility whatsoever on why the people were leaving church. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that there isn't one person that I've counseled, one person that I've met, one person that I've that's commented on all of my social media that has said that the reason that they left church was because they just didn't want to go anymore. They have profound stories of heartache, of pain, about this being a very difficult decision. But once they've done it and they've done the work, to deconstruct and heal from whatever manipulation or learning about the religious indoctrination and how some of those beliefs have kept this narrative on top of them that oftentimes was suffocating them or creating this narrative that somehow they had the right to gatekeep spirituality, or they had the right to say that their way was the only way. And also it gave them the, the self-righteousness to say that, that it could be the keeper of biases and prejudices that made them feel spiritually and morally superior than everyone else. And when they start to deconstruct from that, there is a freedom, there is a release, but that doesn't come till after the work. That doesn't come until after you make that decision that says my life is about to change, but I need it to because this is no longer serving my highest good. Now, according to a latest research, and again, all of these will be in the show notes uh, from Pew Research Center, Religious Landscape Study. And, you know, I, I reference Pew Research Center a lot. The Southern Bi Bible Belt is quickly becoming a region of unchurched or lapsed Protestants who may still hang on to their evangelical identity to some extent, but who don't think going to church is necessary. So this is interesting because this also goes back to the elections of 2016 and 2020, where people who may no longer go to church still identify with those evangelical values and voted conservative, voted extremist Christian, voted for Trump because he was speaking to that indoctrination. However, you can also see the shift where people are, the group called Christians Against Christian Nationalism, are speaking out against this now to say we now know that we were part of the problem because we are, our silence was complicit. 
And now we're going to start speaking up against it. So we're holding on to our beliefs, but we also know that we need to let go of some of that indoctrination and use our voice to speak out against this. So even though you are, and you're also seeing a, pro a problem for the church is that you have people who are saying, look, I get this. I'm good. I did the Christian thing. I am now saved and I don't have to go to church. Well, then who's going to pay the light bill in the church? So now you're starting to see these teachings about the importance of church identity and church community because you have to connect the salvation and the worthiness of a person to the work of the church and somehow keep that bridge going. I don't know how effective it's going to be because it's almost like people have figured it out. The other thing that's happened is, especially since 2020, but be even before that, those of us who are figuring out the virtual community can be a sacred place. Yes, we understand that physical gatherings are important and people need that, but you're also finding places of like minds and souls in a place where you can come together in, safe, in a safe way and ask those questions where you might not be able to in those spiritual communities for fear of condemnation, for fear of being outcast, for fear of being called out and saying that you have a weak faith. Now, all of a sudden you have these communities that say that a place where you have a, a, a safe place, space to go and find people who are thinking and believing like you and saying, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I have a right to question my faith. Maybe I have a right to look at another way to look at this. So this study goes on to say that by 2070, if current trends continue and everything says they will, because this is an 80 year trend of people leaving church, Christians could make up less than half of the population and as little as a third in 50 years. So meanwhile, the, the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the, the religiously unaffiliated, the spiritual but not religious, whoop, whoop, put your hands in the air for us. And the percentage of Americans who identify as either Muslim, Jew, Hindus, Buddhists, or other non-Christian faiths could double. I agree with all of that. This isn't something to fear. It's something to embrace. But when you're afraid of losing control, what do you do? You go to extremist thought. You go to extremist action to try to hold on to power. And that's what patriarchy does. Now, compare what's happening to our country. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that Japan is better than us because I know they have their own struggle with patriarchal thought and values and beliefs. It was just during COVID that one of the cabinet members in Japan said that the men of the family should be doing the shopping because women take too long to shop. I mean, very sexist, misogynistic thought here, very patriarchal in its structure and in its uh, the way that the system is set up. But what they're recognizing is that because of this, and because Japan had it, it, their capitalistic focus and their non uh, focus on ways to enrich the family has backfired because their birth rate is so low that they now have begun to sound the alarm that if they do not do something, their population is unsustainable to the point that they will not be able to keep the commerce and the safety net system of the culture even together, because there won't be enough people to even to serve in hospitals, to serve in, in the social services, to serve in food industry, to serve in tourism. There won't be enough people. So they're looking down that road and they're saying, okay, we see a problem here. How are we going to fix this? Well, what they said is we're going to roll out significant changes in how our government 
supports people that might otherwise have children if they had a support structure. What can we do to create incentives? By creating these attractive child care measures that can help people who may not otherwise be able to afford or help people who, you know, the, the woman wants to be part or the person capable of pregnancy wants to be able to be a part of supporting the family but can't because of the financial pressures that the economy has caused. So they see this as almost like a way that FDR did that says, well, how can our government be a part of the solution to help the people solve a problem that we created, that we created because we focused so much, their response was, okay, we're going to have less kids. So they're creating these incentives whereby in America, we've gone to the extreme the other way where we say, all right, we don't care how you became pregnant, whether it was through violence, and we don't care if you're 12 years old, you're going to have that baby because we're going to force this upon you. We're going to ensure that critical race theory and anything that's that led leads to the authentic telling of our country's history so that we can reinforce the white narrative, the white savior narrative. We're going to keep all that structure in place and we're going to continue to oppress this system so that there's not a threat from the LGBTQIA plus community. They're not going to be seen as equals so that people are forced into compliance through other relationships, through their family pressure or whatever consequences of coming out are going to be too great that they're going to be forced into other relationships because we don't care. As long as they're having babies, we don't care. Now, again, I'm not saying Japan is perfect, but I'm saying that there are several ways that you can always look at an issue. If the important thing is for you to remain in power because you fear that what you view as the Christian nation, which is America, which it isn't, which it absolutely isn't, there is nothing in the founding of this country, that, or even the founding fathers, if you will, that say that they wanted this to be a Christian nation. It's all nonsense. It's all hyperbole. And it's all propaganda. So what what is the better way? Well, any nation, any system that's dying is going to thrash out violently in order to stay in control. And I do believe that this will not prevail that there will be enough of us who are awake who will say, no, this is not going to work. And we're going to stay awake, use our voice and vote, as I say often in my videos. Okay, so now that we have some context, this was all here to just tell you that number one, you are not alone. There are many of us who have had this conversation with ourselves about what are the consequences if I walk out those church doors and I never come back? What is my life going to look like? And I can tell you it for me, it was very hard because there are people here that understand that the proximity of your identity to church, to your family, to your loved ones, in your community, how you are identified, everything changes. Now, for those of us who have done it, it's worth it. But we understand why it's scary. And it's I compare it to losing your church community is like losing one of life's closest relationships. It's a grief, whether it's a death, a tragic death, or it's a choice to leave a toxic relationship. You went into the relationship because you wanted to believe that it was going to be good. You wanted to believe that it was going to be reciprocated, that you too would be fed and nourished. 
You wanted to believe that. We don't go into situations thinking that they're not going to be good. So we go into these relationships hoping for the best, but then things start to deteriorate. So what happens? We make choices along the way. We make compromises. We dismiss things, hoping that, oh, we'll get better. We'll just let that go. We'll let that slide. Oh, we'll let another thing slide. Until eventually it becomes something that our lives are at stake. How happy are we going to be continually minimizing who we are just so that this system can stay in control or that this relationship can stay dominant? And you, meanwhile, keep losing elements of yourself. In the blog, I talk about how hard it is on the younger brother when the older sister finally breaks up, when she breaks up with her boyfriend, even though he has a relationship with that boyfriend, that we don't know the whole situation between the two. So there's judgment. There's always judgment on our part, never on the church's part, because they say that you somehow have done something wrong. So people that are left at the church tend to not support you. They may in quiet, which some of them did with me and said, oh, I support you. Let's go to lunch. Well, they never called. Of course they don't. Now, some of them left after later and then said, I want to reach out to you because I want to tell you what was said about you. And I just want you to know I don't agree with it. And then when it happened to us, it really hurts. And I want to say, yeah, it does hurt, doesn't it? But I offer them grace for that. So it's very hard. And I know that what I experienced is not any different than anybody else. I experienced a complete and utter disconnect from my church family. And that was really hard because everything about my identity was tied up in church, my entire contact list. Besides my children and my husband, everything else was around the church. But I was no longer going to return to a patriarchal religious system that had mastered spiritual bypassing and gaslighting to control its congregates. That's what I had to keep as my highest beacon. And so for those of us that have left any kind of hard long-term relationships where we get into it thinking that it's going to go this way, but it ends up being toxic and it ends up being controlling and we think about what we miss we have to have that thing that's the highest beacon. So for me, I said, I'm not returning to a patriarchal religious system that mastered spiritual bypassing and gaslighting to control its congregants. I will never be in that kind of situation again. So as long as I kept that as, at my, as my highest beacon, as hard as it was to stand in my truth, I stood in it because I knew that something else was better for me out there. And so just like when you leave a toxic relationship that's on a personal level, if you do the work, then you migrate towards those who see you for who you are, who love you for who you are, who love you unconditionally, not putting conditions on you or asking you to contort yourself to fit a narrative that they have over your life. So even though it isn't what you miss, it is so much of who you are that you don't see yourself outside of that church. But if you do the work as we should do the work, what we find on the other side of this is who we truly are, surrounded by those who see us for who we are. And that's beautiful. And that's healing. And that's magic. And that's where we were always supposed to be. Because as Rob Bell says, everything is spiritual. And I agree with that. So if everything is spiritual, then even are having self-respect to say, I'm not going to be in that situation, whether it's at church or in a toxic personal relationship, because I love myself 
enough. And self-care is sacred. Self-worth is sacred. No one should take that from me. The least of which are my church leaders who should be inspiring me. So I think that we are at a point where it's important for us to keep that highest beacon, but also recognize that it hurts along the way. And I know it does, beautiful soul. So if you need to come into places, whether it's in social media, or if you come, if you're part of our Patreon community, or you find places where you can talk to people, that is so important. Just like when we're healing from a toxic relationship, I know people who have gone into support groups so they can learn how to make sure that that doesn't happen again. I'm not saying that you have to leave church forever. I don't proselytize that. But if that is what's hurt you, then it's time to step away from it because you cannot be healed by the thing that wounded you. That's what scares me about some of these churches who are now having these uh, deconstructing groups and healing groups and spiritual trauma groups. It's all marketing. They're doing it to make sure you're, they're pointing you right back in the church. It's like anything else. You have to be careful about that. Now, I came up with a couple of things here that I think is important. Adya Shanti. Now, if you've heard me talk before, I've talked some about Adya Shanti. Adya Shanti was raised a conservative Christian. His birth name is Stephen Gray, and he was uh, born in California, but at 19, so he was really young. I'm looking at, you know, I started deconstructing in my 50s, but at 19, he became interested in enlightenment and he began to meditate and became fully absorbed in that. So he on his own, independent of his family, began to deconstruct. And the way he did it was by looking at how he could explore his spirituality outside of his Christian-centric experience. Now, first of all, you may not have had the, the financial means to do that or the desire to do that at 19. I'm, I'm glad for him that he did, but he wrote a book called Resurrecting Jesus. And this is going to be part of our Book of the Month Club and Patreon as well. But here's what he wrote. Charisma can be very beautiful, but if a teacher is too charismatic, students tend to grasp. They tend to look only at the beauty. I'm sorry, to look at the body and think what a wonderful person. Now, going somewhere with this. So hold on. He continues, he or she might be a wonderful person, but it's not about a wonderful person. I see it as the greatest gift for me that neither one of my teachers were charismatic personalities. Uh, as soon as we move into the worship of the charisma or anything else, we start to unconsciously look past the presence that really is. The presence that can function through strong personalities and also through meek and mild personalities. It can function through great charisma and through almost no charisma. None of us has any choice about that part in it. It can function through the grandmother just as much as it can function through the divine mother guru. Now, why am I talking about this? Because I think that oftentimes in our indoctrinations, that is what we have been trained to look for. And I don't want you to see that in me as well. That's why I often will talk to you about this indwelling presence and how important it is that you reclaim your spirituality and you question people, you keep a hold of that. And a lot of times when people come out of the church, the first thing they're looking for is a roadmap or somebody to say, okay, where's my how-to? How am I going to do this? Where's my guru out here? And that spiritual void, which can look so dangerous and intimidating, 
is actually welcoming and expansive when we understand that our journey through it is exactly what we need. As long as we start to untangle from those things that say, where in this life am I going to find the person who's going to hold all the answers? Our indoctrination taught us to look at religious leaders in that way, because if we do, then we remain committed to them like a long-term relationship. And I don't think that's the way it was ever intended to be. I believe our spiritual communities should ebb and flow. I believe that we should be in several. I believe that we should have different communities that are helping us on different paths. I can't do it all for you any more than someone can teach you all about Buddhism. It's a path that you're going through. And just like in life, we have friends for the the different things that we do. It's the same way, but it serves a patriarchal structure for you to see at the top, the ultimate authority that you, you submit to and you obey. That's the typical structure of the church here in America. But if we look at, if we stop looking for people who are our guru, who are that supreme teacher, if you will, then just like inside a toxic relationship that's personal, we are no longer at risk of being taken advantage of. We are no longer at risk of being groomed into learn what silent submission looks like that our worthiness is so so stripped away from us, that the only way we are worthy is through our connection through the system and not our spirituality. So I wrote this for the blog. You do not need a guru. You need teachers who can help you heal and find the wisdom, the indwelling presence, as Thomas Keating calls it. So working through this loneliness from a space of acknowledging the grief, the loss, and acknowledging the pain, but empowering you to ensure that those who did not have your highest good in mind, but the highest good of the system, you no longer feel obligated or connected to. That means ensuring that only those you can trust for your well-being, both spiritually and emotionally, are in your circle. And that's the most important thing you can do. That is how we start to heal That is how we start to move towards those with like minds and souls. That's how we find our wisdom keepers and teachers. And that's what I hope to be to you and that you, I help you find others along the way, especially when you listen to the March 19th interview and with some courses I have coming up where some other teachers are coming in to help teach those courses. I'm so excited as you can tell. So beautiful. soul, I just want to tell you today that you are going to be okay. And you're not only going to be okay, you're going to flourish and thrive. And I want you to know that if you trust that you are right where you should be, then it's going to be worth it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It won't be easy. But just like anything else in life, when we've had to make some difficult decisions, we've made them because there came a point in our lives where we say we deserve something better. We deserve to listen to that inner voice that tells us there's something more out there. So whether it's in the physical with love or it's the spiritual and it's all connected anyway, keep moving forward. And if that takes you out of the church doors, then that is where you belong. And blessed be. 
Thank you for listening, beautiful souls. If you like to watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, then please go there at Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. You can also find us at on uh, Patreon at patreon.com. Look for Rev Carla, where I have bonus content, live Q&A sessions, and we are creating a spiritual community for the spiritual but not religious like no other. I also invite you to connect with me on social media at Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Rev Carla. You can also find all new content coming up all the time at RevCarla.com and NumaSoul.com. Okay, I'm so honored to be in this space with you. I pray that you receive something I know I did because this teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon.